But it, it was a it was a fabulous time for me. It was my first time with my foot in, on the big monitor in my own spotlight. So I mean, that's exciting for anybody. And I just said to him, "Look, man, you're a legend. You've got a great voice. You'd love the world over. You're 73 years old. Just go and do something that makes you happy." It's called Alice's Eyes. I won't tell anybody I told you that because I'll only get my I'll only get spanked. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate weekly classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson, thanks as always for hitting play. Now on this week's show, I've got a Scottish singer who's worked with some of the real legends of rock. He was part of Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, sang for many years with Ingve Malmsteen's Rising Force, and also with Michael Schenker's Temple of Rock as well. He's toured with Graham Bonnet on many occasions and has a list of credits as long as his arm. And he's been a busy boy as well. A solo album, re-release, a new album for Frontiers Music and joining Alcatraz and recording a new album with them too. I am of course talking about Motherwell boy Doogie White. He's a lovely guy and I met him many years ago as well at a radio station I once worked for. Now, he started his career in a Scottish band called La Paz and famously auditioned to be lead vocalist for Iron Maiden when Bruce Dickinson left. He was eventually runner-up to Blaze Bailey who got that gig, but he did end up getting another huge gig fronting Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. Now, a vocal tape of his lay undiscovered at Rainbow Headquarters. I've no actual idea if there is a Rainbow Headquarters, but it sounds good, doesn't it? Anyway, Richie's wife Candice found the cassette, liked what she heard, and played it for Richie. And that was it. He was in. He took the reins as the vocalist from Joe Lynn Turner, who I interviewed a few months ago on the series, so please do go back and check that one out as well. It's on episode 14. Now, Doogie joined a few years after Joe Lynn's time, which was commercially the band's most successful period with charts hits on both sides of the Atlantic. Before Joe Lynn was Graham Bonnet, whose name keeps cropping up, doesn't it? He sang the classic rock radio hits Since You've Been Gone and All Night Long for Rainbow, and then prior to that was obviously the legend that is Ronnie James Dio, who fronted the group for a number of years including the now iconic masterpiece album rainbow rising so that was the background to doogie joining up with richie so in this interview we chat all about his time with richie blackmore and working with the likes of michael schenker and ingve malmsteen his friendship with graham bonnet and all about the new exciting things he's got on his plate right now of which there are many believe me so here you go my interview with the brilliant vocalist doogie white I'm delighted to be joined by a Scottish rock vocalist, one of the best vocalists we've had from this country. And honestly, he's worked with some of the biggest and best musicians around. It's my pleasure to welcome to Vintage Rock Pod, Mr. Doogie White. Hi, Doogie. Hello there. Nice to see you again. Indeed. Yes, yes, we did meet, didn't we, about a decade or so ago. You came into the the radio station I worked with and you did a fantastic little session in one of the studios. Yeah, it was a cold day. I remember wearing a lovely corduroy jacket that I'd had for years. (laughs) It's gone now, though. It's gone. It's still just as cold, though, let's be honest, in Scotland, but there you go. Um, no, yeah. I, the one thing I do remember, yeah. I, I actually went and listened to you doing your session in a different studio, and I, I hunted for it, because I'm sure I put a Facebook status up, and I did, and I found it, and it was like listening to Doogie White doing a session in Studio A at the moment. What an incredible voice that man has, and absolutely true to your word. You did um, Temple of the King, I think it was, and you were brilliant. Yeah, Temple of the King. I think we'd, we'd, and then we did, I think we did Soldier of Fortune as well, 
Um, mm -hmm. And we did one of Ross McEwen's songs. Uh, this is why I think we did this, those three. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, thank you for joining us, as I said a minute ago. Um, you've got some, uh, well, you've got loads on your plate at the moment, haven't you? You've got loads of different things on the go. So um, let's just dive straight in. Let's first talk about As Yet Untitled. It's uh, your solo album you released about 10 years ago. Um, but it's getting a re-release, isn't it? You've got some new tracks on there and another um, album with it, which is unreleased material. So tell us a bit more about that, Doogie. Well, the album, As Yet Untitled, uh, as you said, that's it there. There you go. Oh, I love it's it. a great wee sleeve as well. Um, I got the rights back to the album and I was approached by a Scottish lad who has a record label who I had done tribute albums for, myself and a whole bunch of different folk. Uh, Bernie Shaw from Uriah Heep and oh. Steve Overland from FM. Uh, Mickey Moody was there, Judy Zook. And over a period of about a year, we, we did a whole bunch of uh, tribute albums just for fun. And um, so when Brian contacted me about re-releasing the solo album, the first question he asked me was, did I have any bonus tracks? And I had two that I had left over. I just didn't, I didn't want to play the album. And he said, well, listen, do you mind if we use, you know, another CD to complement it with your songs that you did in these tribute albums. So that's what we ended up doing. And looking at it, I'm looking at it just now, actually. You know, it's interesting because I, there's some of these I don't even remember doing. <laughs> because, you know, Twisting the Night Away, Not Fade Away, Let's Spend the Night Together, Emerald. I mean, I don't remember doing them because it was very much a case of you got a phone call on the Friday night saying, we're going to be doing a White Snake tribute album next week. Do you want to sing on it? And I go, okay. Can you learn these three songs? And you and you went in about midday, and you left about four o'clock in the afternoon, and you put down all the vocals. So it was, it was all good fun. Lovely stuff. And where can we get this album then? Well, um, you get you can get it on on Amazon, and I mean it's not expensive for a double CD. It's only ten quid, <laughs> you know. And that's for that's for a double CD with all of that stuff on it, you know. So. It's nice to have it out again and to have the extra tracks on it. And and my friend Pontus Norgren, who's the guitar player in uh, Hammerfall, he remastered remastered it for me. So that's so that's good. So it's got it's got a wee bit more oomph than it had the last time, which is always exciting. <laughs> always indeed. Uh, speaking of oomph, um, the next thing that we can talk about right now is Alcatraz. I mean, you've joined the boy, the boys in the band, haven't you? And you've taken over Graham Bonnet's lead vocals and this new album out. We've heard the the new single, which is fantastic, and it's turn of the wheel, and it's got a really hard kind of powerful feel to it, hasn't it? Yeah, it does. Well, it, it kind of goes in sequence. I was contacted about this, right? And 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 so I agreed to do that because all the touring stopped. I mean, I was supposed to have, uh, starting in March last year, I, I was going to have about nine months touring with Michael Schenker, mm -hmm. starting in Japan and finishing up in uh, uh, South America. But it all just went by the wayside. As soon as the virus hit, it all just went by the wayside. Yeah. Um, so... I really didn't have anything to do. And Frontiers Records contacted me. Um, and we've been kind of dancing around each other for a wee while now. But we never quite found, we never could agree on what it was I was going to do. You know, so they finally came up with a plan to work with a Swedish guitar player called Emil Norberg. And we started a, a new project because it won't be abandoned unless we get it on the road called Long Shadows Dawn. And we started working on an album um, which is called Isle of Wrath, and that comes out in August. 
And just as we were finishing that, the Alcatraz guys called me and said that Graham had left Alcatraz. And would I do tour dates that they had for the previous album? But the tour dates were never going to happen because of the virus. And I said, well, look, you know, rather than come in and be in a Graham Bonnet cover band or an Alcatraz cover band, why don't we go out and write a new album and make it legitimate? And so, so that's what we did. And we went out and we, and we finished the album about six weeks ago. The first release that came out, as you say, Turn of the Wheel. The second um, one is going to be released very soon. So it's, it's been quite a busy time. I mean, I've written two albums since August last year, <laughs> uh, plus some little bits in between. So there's no time to there's no time to rest, you know. There's no time to. Uh, if I had any laurels, I wouldn't be sitting on them. <laughs> Absolutely. Now you've been big friends with Graham Bonnet, haven't you, for for many years? Did you know the situation was going to come around? Did, did you know he was going to leave? Did you expect a phone call to to take over and that sort of thing? No. I don't, uh, t- to answer the second part of your question first, um, well, I've known Graham, I have known Graham for a very long time, and um, and we've toured together on numerous occasions, and and he's a dear friend. And when he, when he was up with Alcatraz the last time and they were, were touring the UK and they played in Edinburgh and I got a phone call, would I like to go and have a coffee with Graham and I'll walk around and have a blether, show him a bit of the city. So that's what we did. And during that time, he just told me how much he wasn't enjoying it. He wasn't enjoying this kind of music. He didn't like it. Um, he wanted to go back to the Graham Bonnet band. He wasn't enjoying Alcatraz. He told me that I hadn't even enjoyed it when he, when he was working with Andy or Steve Vai. And he just wanted to do music that was closer to his heart, which is what he does with the Graham Bonnet Band. And, um, and I just said to him, look, man, you're a legend. You've got a great voice. You know, you'd love the world over. You know, you're 73 years old. Just go and do something that makes you happy. Rather than moaning and complaining about it, you know, if, if, if you have an option and you're not happy doing this, go and do something else. You know, so, so clearly that's what he did. And I had, I, all, all I wanted to see was my mate happy and, and doing something that brought him joy. Um, and it wasn't until months later that the Alcatraz guys uh, uh, called me and said just what I had said earlier in a previous answer, that they wanted to go out and do the tour dates that they were supposed to fulfil. But so... If it wasn't going to be me that was going to be doing it, because there are two original members in the band, you know, Jimmy Waldo and, and Gary Shea, um, and, and they formed the band with Graham and founding Vey and yeah. all this kind of stuff. And they've got a great guitar player in Joe Stump and, and, and Mark's a, a tremendous drummer. And were they just going to throw all that work that they had done away or were they going to get somebody else in? And if they were going to get somebody else in, well, why not me? You know, they could, I'm sure they could, I'm sure they would have been spoiled for choice. But um, they asked me and I heard the music and uh, Turn of the Wheel was the first song we wrote together. So I was pleased with that. And it's come out really well. It's a great, it's a great song. It's a commercial metal hit. <laughs> and it's getting great feedback as well. I was looking on your social media and the fans, are, they're really enjoying the fact that it has got that powerful edge to it. Yeah. Yeah. They're, in, they're, in, they're enjoying it. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting out on the road with them. We're supposed to be touring later on in the year um, with girls' school around the UK and then over next year into Europe. So let's see how the, how the virus 
uh, goes over the next few months to see whether that's going to be possible. Absolutely. And in terms of the, the full album then, what can we expect from the full album? Is it going to have that same kind of commercial metal feel? Well, it has it, it has a couple that are commercially metal and then it has some that, that are very dark and menacing. Um, oh, good. I've been told when I'm doing interviews that it's under embargo at the moment. So I'm not allowed to say anything. I'm not allowed to give out song titles or anything like that. But it's it's touching on a, on a lot of the th- you isolation and loneliness and alcoholism mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 redemption and uh, and darkness and but hopefully there's a wee bit of hope and light at the end of it all. Um, I used to always have a, have a tune about resurrection and things like that. There was always tunes like that, and more recently I found myself gravitating towards theatre old actors and actresses who are reaching the end of their shelf life. <laughs> and it could easily apply to musicians as well that are reaching the, when you do things that are beyond what you should be doing now. That last hurrah, the magician that does his last hurrah and it goes terribly wrong, you know, <laughs> just because no one wants anything to go wrong. You, you, want, you want to see people succeed and then you just go, oh, why did you do that? You know, like watching an old boxer getting into the ring and you just know, man, you really shouldn't be here. So mm-hmm. so there's a couple of songs on there like that. There's a couple of songs on there that are... And again, I'll be able to talk more about these when the album's released or when I'm allowed, that that were stories that I'd had for a long time that I wrote a long time ago. Um, or the ideas, anyway. Um, yeah. I'll tell you, there was one called Alice's Eyes, right? It's called Alice's Eyes. And when I was recording with Blackmore up in um, North Brookfield in a farm up there, and it, it was an old house, and I was lying in my bed, and it was had one of those latched keys that it goes up like this. So you put your thumb on it, it comes up like this. Yeah, yeah. And, and so if anybody was coming in, that's the first thing you heard. And I woke up one morning, and there was a young woman walking around, around the bottom of, bottom of my bed. And then back out again. And I thought, that's the weirdest thing. That's the darndest thing. <laughs> and it was about, it was, and that was during when it was, because it was very snowy. And, it, and sometime after that, Candy, uh, Richie's missus, was out wandering around. She said, have you seen this? Look. And we went over. And next to where the horses were, there was a, there was a, a gravestone. Oh. And it said, here lies the remains of Alice Doan, oh. right? It died age eleven or fourteen or something. So I took that. I took that story and just weaved it in, and had the lyric for a while. I had to change it for this, but I never had the right piece of music for it. And Joe Stump wrote the right piece of music for it, so it's great. Oh, I love stories like that. It's called Alice's Eyes. I won't tell anybody I told you that because I'll only get my. <laughs> I'll only get spanked. <laughs> I won't say a word. I won't tell anybody at all, honest. Um, <laughs> I love stories like that. I love stories like that. Um, another thing you, you briefly mentioned there, I Love Wrath. I mean, what are, we, what are we to expect from that and yourself and, and Emil? That's coming out. When, when is that coming out to start with? That, that'll, be out, that'll be out in August. And he was originally working, I think he was going to be working with someone else. And the record company had given him a brief of what kind of album they wanted. Okay. And he sent me two ideas over. Uh, and I went, oh, 
you know, I, I don't really want to do this AOR kind of thing. I want to go, I want to go a bit I want to go a bit darker because let's face it, it's been a dark time for us and it's not all jolly. Um, and he said, "Thank God for that." And then he just started passing me these really heavy riffs and interesting arrangements. And um, and again, we're, we're following similar themes just because during that five-month period when I was re- writing and recording both albums, nothing had changed. So musically and m- melodically, it's coming from a different place. Lyrically, some of the themes will be the same, but with a different angle on what they're about. So again, it's a it's a it's a heavy it's a heavier, slightly more commercial than the Alcatraz. I mean Alcatraz is 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 moving into proper metal territory, whereas we have a more traditional classic but darker sound with long shadows done as well. Good stuff, good stuff. I'm pleased with both albums, to be honest. <laughs> Very busy boy indeed. Now, um, let's just touch back on some of your career. I mean, for, from a boy from Motherwell to have done what you've done, I mean, that's fairly phenomenal. And some of the artists that you've worked with, and you mentioned Richie Blackmore, so we'll we'll touch quickly on, on your time with Richie in Rainbow. I mean, yeah. we all know the story about the cassette that was sent over and then it was suddenly found. It took a little while and he heard your voice and that was it. He wanted you to, to join the band and you went in there and Stranger and Us All was made and everything like that. I mean, what, what do you remember of your time with Rainbow and with Richie, I, re- I remember. I remember most of it. You know, we all make we all tell our stories to make ourselves seem better. But I had a great time doing it. We spent a long time together. I mean, we spent six weeks in in upstate New York, uh, again in an old house with a with a mobile um, truck and thing. Just as a get to know, we switched bass players. We got rid of one guy and we brought Greg Smith in, and 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 we played a lot of football. Because, you know, we did as much football as we did writing. But that was the last time I got to write like that. When you go into it, when you're, when you're all together, you can have breakfast and you can go in and you can start work. And you can go and have lunch and you can start work. You can go and play football, come back and do more work. And we did that for about six weeks. But only two of the songs from those sessions, maybe three actually, Three from from those sessions of of the tunes that we wrote made it to the album. One was Stand and Fight, which was the first song we wrote together. Black Masquerade, which changed lyrically and melodically, um, but the music remained the same. And another one called Silence, so that remained as well. But it, it was a it was a fabulous time for me. It was my first time with my foot in, on the big monitor in my own spotlight. So I mean, that's exciting for anybody. <laughs> but it's a long time ago. I mean, I've covered I've covered many many thousands and tens of thousands of miles since then. But I still look back on it very fondly because he was the guy who took the chance on me yep. and, and and introduced me to the wider rock fraternity. Now that's not the first time he did that. You know, you know, he did that with Coverdale. He took Coverdale from a a trouser shop in in Redcar. You know, he took other people from bands that weren't going anywhere. And what he does is he gives you a launch pad and just cuts you free when it's time for him to change. That And that's what he did. And, it, and it's up to, to you to make your own path after that, if you can. Some make it, some don't. 
That sounds a very similar tale. I spoke to Joe Lynn a few months ago and he said pretty much the same thing himself. Um, how did you yeah. feel then going into Rainbow, following those sorts of voices? Because obviously the Joe Lynn era was very commercially successful. Graham Bonnet's album was massive. And then obviously Ronnie Dio before that. I mean, crikey. Fearless. Absolutely fearless. Because I was a fan. Yeah. And as a fan, I had an idea of what I would want to hear as a fan. Richie was at the top of his game. Richie hadn't, I don't think Richie had played as well. The Battle Rages on, he was playing absolutely magnificently on that tour. And he carried that into this version of Rainbow. And I don't think, honestly, that he had played that well since the Dio Rainbow days. I don't think he had played that well. And he was fired up and he was enthusiastic. He had something to prove. And I, I had no fear because he, he had my back. He believed in me and he knew that we could do good work together. We never exchanged words. Um, we always got on well. We used to watch football together. We would go to blockbusters and pick up some ridiculous movie, go back and eat lasagna and watch, watch a movie, kick a ball around. And then one day he just decided that that wasn't going to be happening anymore. And, and from then on, it, it was just a roller coaster ride until it finally ended. Absolutely. And just mentioning a couple of other huge names that you've worked with. I mean, Ingve Malmsteen, you mentioned a couple of times, Michael Schenker as well. I mean, what's it like working with these incredible musicians? I mean, do you yourself learn from these guys as you go along? I think, well, I think you do. Michael was that, Michael was the, the hardest taskmaster. A lovely, lovely, lovely man. We, we go on still really well to this day. I mean, I was in contact with him the other week there, you know, and uh, he's got a new version of uh, MSG together now, which he's taken out because I was with him for nine years. Yeah. So it's time, it's time for him to have a change. And, you know, maybe we'll do a new Temple of Rock album somewhere down the line, depending on how things go for both of us. Um, Envy, I got. I was with Envy for six and a bit years, and we got on really great. You know, I used to go and play tennis with him every morning before we'd start recording. <laughs> you know, we, 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 I, they're just nor they're just normal people. I mean, it's how people ap- approach them. You know, they might be legends, and and there's no doubt that they're masterful guitar players and, and musicians. But if you go in there with fear, then then they'll chew you. <laughs> they would chew you up. But if you go in there with that arrogance, then they'll chew you up even worse. You know, so you just go in there and 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 remember whose name's selling the tickets, remember whose name's selling the album, you know, and 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 just go in and leave your ego at home. And that's all I've ever done. You know, I don't go, I don't go in there and throw my weight around. I mean, obviously, if there's something that, that needs to be discussed, you try and discuss it. I mean, and, and sometimes sometimes it's okay. And sometimes it doesn't work. But that's okay, so long as it's out there. Absolutely. And speaking of other masterful guitarists, I mean, we know the story of you trying out for Iron Maiden. Uh, didn't quite get in, Blaze Bailey got the spot. But there was also a time when you almost got to play with uh, Tony Iommi as well. Do you mind telling that little story? I was about to go on tour with Envy and, and, and Tony phoned me up and uh, asked, me, asked me what I was doing. Now, what I should have said is, um, uh, what do you need, Tony? 
<laughs> he said, listen, I've, I've, been, I've, I've written a whole bunch of songs and I don't know whether to give them to Ozzy or to Dio or to go with someone else. He said, so what are you doing? And I said, well, actually, I'm just packing my bags. I'm about to go on tour for six weeks with Ingby. So that that can he, he wished me good luck and that kind of ended that. But we've, we've met a couple of times since then. But I think that's gone now. I think that opportunity's gone now. Uh, and, and I think he made the right choice going with, with Ronnie. And, uh, and I got to see that show a couple of times and it was great. Good stuff. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Doogie. Um, I look forward to, to hearing the new albums from, uh, well, the Isla Raff album and the, the new Alcatraz one as well when it comes out and hopefully catch you when you're on tour as well, when everything opens up again. When it opens up again, it'll be good. Good to see you, man. Thanks very much. There you go, the brilliant Doogie White there. Plenty of music to check out for you, including his re-release solo album As Yet Untitled, the new material with Alcatraz and his project with Emil Norberg, Long Shadows Dawn. Now, if this is the first time you've listened to Vintage Rock Pod, then please do go and check out some of the other big interviews from throughout the series. If you're a fan of Rainbow, then you have to listen to my interview with Joe Lynn Turner. It's actually the most listened to episode of my entire series. Other big-name rockers I've interviewed include fellow Scotsman Pete Agnew from Nazareth, lead singer of The Scorpions, Klaus Mein, Danny Bowes, lead singer with Thunder, uh, lead singer of Magnum, Bob Catley, Rat, frontman Stephen Piercy, Mick Box from Uriah Heep, and there's many, many others as well. It's well worth checking out. Go through that list and see who I've spoken to. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on all good podcast directories. You know, the likes of Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Podcast Addict or Google Podcasts or Deezer or all these sorts of things. You know what I'm talking about anyway. Now, we're at the point of the show where I give you my song recommendations, my favourite five songs from a band. As I've already done Rainbow earlier in the series, I'm going to go with Doogie's newly joined band, Alcatraz, and look back at their history. Now, a bit of info about the band then. When Graham Bonnet left Rainbow, he formed Alcatraz with Jimmy Waldo and Gary Shea. There's been the usual change-up of lineups as the roses with these kind of rock bands along the way, but the early album featured a then-unknown Ingve Malmsteen. When he left, he was replaced by Stevie Vai, so plenty of rock pedigree there. They released three albums in the 80s, studio albums anyway, No Parole from Rock and Roll in 83, Disturbing the Peace in 85, and Dangerous Games in 86. They split up and various incarnations of the band reunited and toured from 2006 until they released an album last year called Born Innocent. Then, as you heard in the interview, Graham Bonnet left and he's been replaced by Doogie and a new album is on the horizon. So, with your Alcatraz history lesson out of the way, here's my favourite five songs from Alcatraz, according to Vintage Rock Pod. At five is a track from Disturbing the Peace. It's got a steady riff throughout and a big sing-along chorus. At number five is Painted Lover. Number four is one of their best-known tracks, the opener to their debut album. It has a softer, more commercial feel to it, this one. Cool Pacific winds blow just across the bay. At number four is Island in the Sun. My number three is another from Disturbing the Peace and came back into the spotlight a few years ago when it was featured on the video game Grand Theft Auto Vice City. It's another upbeat, rousing number. At three is God Blessed Video. At number two is a song with a real rainbow feel to it. Graham Bonnet manages to hit ridiculously high notes that easily evade other vocalists. At number two is Jet to Jet. And at number one is another from their debut album, No Parole, from Rock and Roll. It starts with a calmer build-up, albeit with Yngwie's blistering guitar over the top, before the crunching riff kicks in. 
Graham Bonnet wrote this about the nuclear bombs that were dropped on Japan in World War II. He was horrified by it. The number one Alcatraz song, according to Vintage Rock Pod, is the classic Hiroshima Mon Amour. There you go, my favourite five songs from Alcatraz. As ever, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this list. Where do you agree? Where do you disagree? Drop me an email, vintagerockpod at gmail.com, or you can message me on the socials as well. All you got to do is search for Vintage Rock Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Give us a like or a follow on there as well. You can also sign up to become a VRP VIP and receive a newsletter that will land in your inbox at the very most once a week. I'll be honest, I've been very busy lately, so it's kind of almost fortnightly currently. The latest featured a chance to win a designer t-shirt and it's full of extra bits and bobs from the world of Vintage Rock Pod. So just go to my website, vintagerockpod.com and sign up using the form on the first page there. I promise your information is not going to be sold on or passed to anyone else and I'm not going to spam you. You are absolutely, completely and utterly safe. Well, that's it for this week's main show then. Until the next episode, remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them my music is better than yours. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.